Hey guys, we're back with another episode of the Black Box Podcast. I'm your host, Ahmed. And I'm your host, John. And we got another interview, this time with my buddy, Alberto Manjez. He, you know, we grew up together. We knew each other, went through school. Um, now he does accounting. So we talk a, a lot about the career, a lot about his progression personally and figuring out what he wants to do, what's really going to make him happy you know, how he navigated the COVID times working remotely at a new job after school. So we go into that. Then we kind of just talk about general, like being able to afford the things that make you happy and how you need to manage your money in order to do that and just staying smart and still being able to save and invest at the same time. So pretty good all around episode. We kind of just let it flow naturally. So hopefully you like it. Yeah. Very conversational, which uh, I guess is pretty characteristic of us, but, uh, yeah, let's just get right into it. Hey guys, just wanted to shout out Zencaster, our platform of choice for recording remotely with our guests. Uh, they're sponsoring this episode, so tune in later to hear more about some really great offers. Hey, y'all. We're really excited to tell you about Black Ice, the Black-owned jewelry business owned by Sean Moore, uh, our previous guest on the Black Box podcast. If you think if you think about it, Black Ice and like Black Box, it's like it's it's almost like it's meant to be. Oh. Exactly. Um, yeah. But, you know, we like to focus on investing in the show. So, you know, we kind of look at it as we're partnering up with a asset class, you know, jewelry is considered an investment. And with the, you know, stock market and crypto being pretty volatile right now, and most for the most part going down, um, jewelry, especially precious metals, you know, gold and silver, those tend to preserve their value really well. So, you know, that's also another reason why we think it's a, a good opportunity. But also, you know, I've worked with Sean in the past, I got a gift for my mother, actually, for Mother's Day, it was a pretty, a relatively custom piece, nothing crazy. But you know, Sean was quick, he was easy, he was responsive, the price was fair. And, you know, we just met up and transaction was easy and my mom loved the gift. So yeah, if this all sounds good to you, check out Black Ice's website at Black Ice NYC um, and at all socials. And uh, there's a V instead of an A for the black. So as you guys are probably used to with little letter substitutions by us, but you could find stock goods there. And Sean also specializes in custom goods with quick turnaround times. Yeah. Uh, Sean does great custom pieces. I've seen a bunch of them on his social media. But um, yeah, he's also good for sourcing, you know, like watches, specific Rolexes, anything like that they are looking for. He can also get you a better price. And, you know, if you're going to, you know, a bigger name shop or someone that you don't really know that might try to gouge you on the price. So Along with that, it's also supporting an upcoming entrepreneur. He's had a lot of success. He just celebrated his one-year anniversary of the business, had a really nice party. And um, let's get back to the show. Hey, Berto. Hello. <laughs> Happy to have you on. I'm glad uh, You know, we finally were able to run it after scheduling it, what, two, three months back. Um, I guess before we get into it, you want to just introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah. And hey, say guys, my name is Alberto Manjas. I, I live in Brewster, New York. Uh, I studied finance in college, been out of college for a few years, uh, out on the work grind now. And uh, Good old work grind. Yeah, definitely a big grind, um, but honestly enjoyable. It's had some really highs and some really lows, um, and 
I learned a lot in the past like three, four years, um, both socially and um, I guess not academically, but work life now um, and kind of melding the two together. And I think that's something that actually, now that you mentioned that, I, I probably would be willing to talk about that as a, a key topic that I think a lot of people our age probably have a hard time mixing those two things together. What business and pleasure? Yeah, business and pleasure. Separating the two, putting the two together. You know, all the bounds and barriers. Yeah. Oh, okay. And you you were bringing up the thing that I brought up before is in your podcast. Um. Well, no. Nah, uh, I mean, like, I would say that uh, I found it really hard transitioning from like an academic life. Oh. Oh. Okay. To to a work life. You know. Um. I, I excelled. Um in academics really well but then as soon as i transitioned to the work life it was like a complete opposite it was like uh i wouldn't say i failed but i found it extremely hard to be motivated and 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 keep pursuing it because i didn't really see uh an end goal like you know when you're in in your high school you're going to college when you're in college you're trying to graduate well to get a good job but then once you have a good job it's like what the fuck am i doing aside from working you know um i feel like we may have brought this topic up once way back in the day when before we started doing interviews it would be just me and ahmed sitting down talking uh uh-huh i feel like we did bring up that idea at one point but if we didn't this would be a perfect time to talk about it like i think that's especially true for the people that and i've seen this firsthand from people that have gone to our school they were really and this isn't a knock on anyone obviously not going to mention any names but they did really well in school we're always like you know top of the class went to a great college and then after that you kind of don't really hear about them yeah no i mean like uh and, in, co- in college I, I mean it was like only a handful of students who were really good and everyone else was kind of just partying and so you know i stuck it out for the four years and was my little nerd self with still some social life on the weekends but um you know after that was done i was like what do i do you know I'm making money and it's going towards nothing i didn't have any like goals set well yeah i feel like that's that's the reason why some people just like fall off for lack of a better term and it's not like you need to be like achieving crazy things your entire life it's more just that you prove to yourself you can be this like high goal setter and high achiever so what's the reason why you're not continuing that through the rest of your life i don't know i feel i feel like uh, partying is a big thing because yeah it was like in high school and around that younger age there was like less people that would party it was more like the adventurous and you know th- that group of kids but then in college everyone's partying everyone's everything. going out it, it's like you're you're people a sm- you're the, homework homework to the yeah. bar bro like uh, <laughs> you know people are making any way shape or form to make sure they can get to so the that's bar distractions and yeah but no i mean uh i found it really difficult because it's like you go from kind of like uh the, the infrastructure kind of sets you up with goals while you know you never really set the goals out yourself aside from maybe some soft goals like i want to do well or i want to get a 4.0 um, but they're very, um, how do you say it? Not unique goals. Uh, everyone is striving to do well, or at least some sort of measure has something in their mind as to what they want to do in high school or college. But once you're in the work life, it's like, you know, pr- promotions are years away, or maybe half year away, or a year away, whatever the case be in your structure of the whatever business you're working in. But it's like uh, you can't guarantee it either. Um, yeah. you know, when you're in college, it's four years, five years, six years, and if you want to do PhD, that's another set of years. Um, so it's like everything is set out for you, but when you're in the work life, I, I felt like it's, uh, you know, a free for all in a way. Yeah. I think, I think what the conclusion that John and I came to at the end of a, a very, the very similar conversation that we had was that 
you have to have like short term and long term goals set at least in your head and it's probably better to write it down too. I know John is a big uh note taker. Down. Yeah. Yeah. My brain um, doesn't really work well <laughs> the memory part <laughs> yeah yeah but like i mean honestly i i i've started to keep like more notes um on like my phone and laptop but i feel like everyone has their thing that works for them right yeah yeah um but yeah the thing is like when once you start working like if you are at like where you want to be in your life at that point in time you have to figure out like what is next, like what is the next step for you? And then that, I guess, gives you something to work towards. Yeah. And that took me like years. I'm not kidding, man. It really took me like years to do. Um, like uh, I was doing well. It wasn't that I stopped working or I wasn't working well. Like, you know, I still continued my rhythm of, you know, trying to succeed and, and do better, but I had no idea for what or for why. And, you know, I wouldn't say that I fell into some sort of depression, but definitely a lull, like uh, just a, it felt numb in a way where it was like, what am I, what am I doing? And for what reason I need some sort of purpose. And that took me years to figure it out. And, and like you said, short-term and long-term goals only recently have I set like some, some pretty notable long-term goals um, in different variations. Like, you know, maybe like a year out to five years out to 10 years out, you know, setting up the, the different times, things that you can tackle now, things that you can tackle maybe in a couple months and then things that will accrue over time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, uh, what was I trying to say? Yeah. It's, it's kind of also boils down to when you leave the academic environment and it's less like competition between your peers and everyone's comparing, like, what did you get on your, this grade, that grade that also brings like the like inherent trait of humans that we like want to be the best. So when there's that competition right in front of you, you're going to, you know, maybe push yourself a little harder or be more motivated. But then when you leave that environment, you go into the professional, everyone's just trying to get by and do their thing. They have their own goals and they're not necessarily sharing them with you, or they also don't have many goals at all. So then it's more of a you versus you. And that's like way harder to keep going than it is like a peer to peer, at least in my opinion, that's how I feel because I agree with a lot of what you were saying that you know, especially during college, like throughout college, I kind of lost my why. Like I didn't know why I kept going and I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to be an engineer and make good money or something. Like <laughs> we'll see what happens. And right now I'm having fun. I get to party and like do cool stuff in my classes. So like, I, I guess we'll just keep going. But then w- as soon as college ended, we were in COVID and all that stuff too. So it left me with so much time that I was like, damn, this like isn't entirely what I want how I yeah. want things to be right now. So like, what do I, I need to figure out first what that life that I want is. And then second, how can I get there over a period of time? You know, Not, And it was really confusing for me. Cause like, uh, I'm first gen. So like, I have no, uh, how do you say it? Like no written model, no previous model to like actually do or follow, you know, just to mm-hmm. follow, uh, you know, maybe, uh, like, I mean, my dad succeeded in construction, still is, um, but I chose academics. My family pushed me into academics. And so that, that wasn't really the route that I was going. Um, so really, I had no model or anything. And so I was like, when I decided to pick a major, I was like, let's just do a broad field. And then so I chose like business finance. I was like, you can definitely make something work with that. I can also go back to my dad's business and restructure it if I have to. Very versatile. But yeah. being that it's so general, 
again, it's like I couldn't hone anything. I, I didn't know how to hone anything. And so like the past couple of years, that's all I've been doing is just honing the things that I like want to do and people I want to be around. And I don't know. God bless you if you could do it quicker than me. But it did take me like literally two or three years to find a, a happy space in that. I feel like that's not even that much, though, compared to like some people. I mean, it's just a range. Everyone has their own timeline, but some people spend their whole life figuring that out. Some people spend 10 years, five years. I think to say two when, you know, the average life is however many years, <laughs> yeah. 70 to 80 some years. That's that's pretty good. So I wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't harp on it too much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's good. I mean, I don't see it as a negative thing, but uh, it's still, you know, especially with COVID, it's like you're sitting there for a year alone in your own thoughts when it comes to like, uh, you know, what you want to do moving forward. And, you know, because your goal setting, you know, it can be derived from other people. But at the end of the day, it does come from you and what you want to do and what you think is best for you. And so that that full year for COVID, I think, did everyone good and bad, um, yeah. depending on how you took it. Um, for me, it ended up being good. At first, I had no idea. And I literally started my first big job at Pepsi at the beginning of COVID. And uh, three weeks later, we went home. So it was like, were you fully remote? <laughs> uh, at that point, yeah. Like after the third week, yeah. Gotcha. I just wanted to do some shit. What was it? What was it like um, having that relationship, like with your coworkers? I guess change very suddenly. I I mean, like I made a couple. I would say soft friends, and then I made one good friend uh, starting at Pepsi. We started at the same time, um, and so like me and him got along really well and and still chatted and everything and we would shoot the shit but aside from that i mean everybody else it just felt like a blank canvas you know like i was talking to a white wall or like a computer screen i even though i could see their faces it just didn't feel right now i'm used to it and you know i see my friends faces or i see my coworkers' faces and it's nice and i'm used to it um but when it first started you know we were like oh we got a week off work great and then oh we got two weeks off work and then all of a sudden it really hit and we never went back. So like, you know, I was really ready to go back to the office and, you know, keep establishing the very beginning of a good career and never happened. I feel like also the remote aspect, depending on where you were at with your job, it could have, it definitely like hurt a lot of people's motivation. Cause I know for me at that point in time, like senior year of college, I was doing classes and my job and just staying really busy. So I was firing on all cylinders. I felt like I was performing really well in my job too. And then I went home for covid and i was like holy shit i have to try so hard to do like the most simple tasks no i have no, <laughs> i have no shame in saying that like i i did horribly for like two months at pepsi once covid really hit i just was not able to adapt um and like typically i'm good at adapting but online work was not something that i was very used to and just being home you know that's like uh it's very hard to to dig into your brain and scoop out the work section and put that forward Rather than where you're normally home and relax, you know, that's where you, you, you know, you take off from work or that's after work yeah. and you have a drink or you have dinner and relax, you hang out with your dogs or family, whatever the case be. So like, you know, that took me like two, three months to, to really get straight. And, uh, I, I can't imagine what it was like for some other people, people who've been working for 20, 30 years in an office, you know, and all of a sudden have to learn how to do all this stuff uh, again. My dad yeah. went, was back in, sorry, I mean, I'll let you go after, but <laughs> my my dad uh he was back in the office after like two months he was like i cannot take this i'm going back in <laughs> and they were sort that was like i guess when you 
I don't even know what the rules were at that point, but he was going back in. <laughs> he was he just could not sit at home all day, you know. No, my, and I feel like that probably applied to so many other people. No, like, same my, my dad. My dad couldn't. There is no remote yeah. work for my dad. It, it doesn't exist. You, know, you, you can't you build, build a it house in a with, home like, simulator. <laughs> like I can't send you a CAD design and just say here it's done. You know, like has to be actually built. And so, uh, you know, they they walked some a completely different field of thorns per se. Um, but as for the rest of us in corporate, I, it was just like weird to just not be in an office and interact with people and also just get instant feedback. You know, like you can walk over to someone's desk and just ask a question and it's done instead of having to schedule a call 20, 30 minutes from now and do nothing or have a problem just yeah. be worse for 20, 30 minutes. <laughs> that is so I feel like um, because I so I started my career with mostly like it was like hybrid work, but I did spend a lot of time uh working remotely um uh-huh. at the very start of my career and it really does suck when you're new to a company but you're working from home so you either have to ping someone and it's like you don't want to ping someone like 10 times a day so it's like you have to be selective with when what which question is important enough for you to like actually reach out to them <laughs> Or like, what do you wait until you're in a meeting with someone and just be like, yo, like, can you help me out with this uh, thing right here real quick? Um, Uh, It's impossible, man. It's like you're trying to balance uh, the most difficult unwritten rules of eggshells. And it's like, uh, you don't want to bother your boss with a trivial question that like online and dedicate a meeting to it when you could have just asked it in person for two minutes. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but with Zencaster, the process becomes much easier. Zencaster is an all-in-one web-based solution that makes the process pretty painless and simple. Um, Zencaster allows to bring you guys, our listeners, the best quality by providing crystal clear audio and gorgeous HD video when we record with our guests. Uh, Zencaster is also easy to use for new users and guests. So, you know, when we have people on the podcast who haven't used a platform before, we pretty much just tell them to show up with a computer, mic, and uh, headphones, and you're pretty much good to go. Um, Zencaster is pretty plug and play. Uh, but from local recording to automated post-production tools, you don't even have to leave the browser to finish off your episode. Use the code zen.ai slash blackbox and enter our promo code blackbox. You'll get 30% off the first three months of Zencaster Pro. It's time to share your story. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry. You go, man. You got it. Oh, so <laughs> before, before, uh, uh, Berto, you were talking about how, like, you feel like it took you like a few years to adjust and stuff. And like, I feel like, that is something that probably everyone experiences, but just doesn't really talk about. I feel like nobody really just knows exactly what they're doing and is feeling a hundred percent great about it at all times. But it's just something you just assume that everyone else is doing fine. You know what I mean? I got kicked in the ass, man. I'm not kidding. Like that shit hit me so fucking hard. (laughs) And I had no way to explain it to anybody. No one that I thought I could talk to, like you said, like you thought that, Like everyone thinks that everyone else is just doing it fine because they're working and doing, you know, their day to day, totally normal. And that's what it seems like in your perception. But yeah, I got my ass beat and uh, I learned a lot from it. 
Yeah, by life, man, by life. Um, you know, your counselors in college and high school is like, you know, you got to be at this class at 9 a.m., this one at 11 a.m., and, and so on. But when it's work, it's, you know, get this done by the end of the day. And it's like, you know, this could take me two minutes or it could take me more than today. And how do I come up with all these answers and questions? And, you know, there's so many more problems and different variables, I think. Yeah, there's also that. Schedule for you. There's also that, like, fear that's built into the corporate Thing. like you were just saying like what what do i do if they don't want it uh I get to see my older brother Raul. what's up <laughs> <laughs> it's good i just Doing saw him like two weeks ago <laughs> yeah i just saw him at the winery a few weeks ago yeah um no what was it shit oh yeah i was saying i think it has to do a little bit with like the fear that corporate life brings with it like you're always afraid to possibly maybe lose your job and like you were just bringing up like what if someone gives you an assignment and says, has it done, have it done by the end of the day? And you're like, Ooh, I don't know if I can get this done by the end of the day. What am I going to say to them? It's like, what do you mean? <laughs> Just tell them you can't do it. But like, <laughs> but you, you honestly get nervous because it's you're like, Oh fear, shit. Man. Like it's a new fear. It's a new ground. You know, uh, it, it's tough, but I, I learned within those years, I learned to say like, Hey, I can't get this done by the end today. You know? oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, like I, I can get it done and like, I'll think, uh, optimistically. And then I'll think like pessimistically and I'll give them that range, you know? I think that helps them a lot when I'm when I'm talking to them, whoever it be a boss or a coworker. Um, but that took me so long to just be like, uh, you know, I'd be working if my work hours ended at five, I'd be working till seven to make sure I got that done, um, which I don't think is right. You know, um, yeah. in some places they promote that. But most places nowadays are, you know, that's not right. And there's actually a lot of legal ramifications also being introduced to yeah. things like that. Um, but it's also just, yeah. Like, it's just not right the long-term opinion. effects like of you staying late every day you're actually going to be less productive every day like you need that separation you need all that time away from your job like that eight hours or nine hours you're giving is a lot as it is so like staying late and doing 10 11 hours you're just frying your brain so then when you come back tomorrow the first half of the day you're going to be like slow to to <laughs> do things terrible, anyway like, the day after you stay late the next day you come in are you really that productive you're usually significantly less productive. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and no one thinks about that. <laughs> no, they, I guess it's all the unwritten things, you know. And uh, I, I do my best, like uh, like Johnny would know. Like, I, I have a good group of friends um, that I don't know yeah. how, but we maintain them. It's it's 10 people deep. And we all work in business fields. And we all talk to each other about, like, these issues and stuff. But, you know, who the fuck has a group of nine people to rely on to, to discuss their issues with the corporate world and you know what worked for them what didn't work for them a lot of people are alone or maybe they have one friend that they confide in who may not even be in the same field um and in essence i guess the the quotes of it would be that it's like therapy in a sense but you know you go to a therapist they're not in a corporate world or you know like they're working out of a small client office and they can't necessarily relate to you they can pick apart you know where your frustrations are and where the root of it is but when you talk to somebody who's dealing with the same problem with you and you realize that you're not alone, it's pretty cool and it definitely alleviating. And uh, I think everybody could use something of that sort, but I don't know how that could be provided. That just made me grateful for the boys. <laughs> we had a similar group. <laughs> they all, they all did like engineering or computer science or things mm-hmm. of, of that nature. So we all kind of know how to help each other when it comes to, you know, is one of us getting screwed in our, like job environment when i was at my last position i keep bringing this up in every record not every recording but once i talk about jobs uh at my last position it was just super toxic at, at one point 
So I would just talk about it all the time and they'd be like, yo, just fucking leave. <laughs> like, stop it. <laughs> it's tough too, though. You know, it's like, it's, it's like, imagine just transferring schools out of nowhere. You know, it's not easy. There's some, some time and paperwork to be done and it's not easy on the mind either. You know, you gotta, you're like, you're constantly weighing, you know, the, the job you're in now, the pay you get and the environment you're in and then all the paperwork and time that goes into swapping, like, uh, you know, like that without being planned. Uh, you know that, that you almost always take just the security of being in a job rather than going through the loops and efforts of leaving right now and trying to find something in the next two three four weeks yeah i feel like as like so i guess john for you it's still been within the past year like the both of us within the past year changed jobs because we weren't really happy in our old jobs and it is definitely like such a terrible process to get a new job, like while you're still working a job, like doing interviews, like during all, during business hours, but you have to schedule them during work or take the day off or figure something out. And uh, it's daunting. It's taxing on the brain. It's, yeah. It's, and it's, 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 it's time consuming, too. It is. We've it's also to look while you're working but like you said it's tough because you got to figure out something during the week and it just doesn't feel right at all times i think we've we've also figured out that like anything that's worth it that's going to eventually make you happier get you closer to your goals is going to be like hard at first and take effort so you know you got to do that work up front to look for the job interview for the job but then when when i sat down first day at the new job or when the first day was over i was like thank god we made it you know like we did it i'm in a better a happier position it's another change of pace like you know in a year or two years or three years or five years it's going to be time for another change so i'm also like an advocate of people switching up jobs at least a few times in their career just because staying at one place the entire time you miss yeah. out on like new opportunities learning experiences that those hardships force you to grow and you also when you leave and go somewhere else you jump pay band so like you're just going to make more too um but like uh in most cases no i mean i had a similar experience where you know i started my my first like big job was pepsi and that was a couple years ago um and the environment honestly was pretty fucking horrible um the only saving grace was actually my boss um her name was sabrina she was this beautifully nice person and she made everything in my day work better but at the end of the day the scales like you know she was the only thing good thing on the scale and everything else brought it down and it outweighed it heavily um so then i i went to like a a startup from germany that just started in the u.s captron they do uh they did or still do actually sorry um all sorts of uh capacitant or capacitor buttons um for trains for buses airplanes uh manufacturing so like you go to like an assembly line you know the stop and go is their button um so they're doing really well but it was a startup and it was um i was doing like three people's jobs as an accountant there and uh it was pretty tough it was fun the people were great but the work itself was absolutely taxing um and then this year in february is when i started at um when in february February 14th. Uh, February 1st was when I started mine. Yeah. My no, and it, it's the best thing I, I've ever done. And uh, it kind of like took the past three years and put it to a, a keystone 
to to kind of resolve the beginning of my career where I, I actually feel like I've taken the first good step forward um, because the people and the work is just outstanding. Um, the work itself is, you know, I'm in charge of all the sales reporting um, and forecasting for the company uh, in terms of our division. Um, but the people are fantastic. Uh, you know, they make you laugh. They make you actually enjoy your work and they also don't over expect or under expect. So, you know, it's still a sense of accountability without crushing your dreams. I think when the expectation is like, I have seen you, you have proven to me in some sort of way and I trust you enough to do your best on any given day. And some days that's not a lot. Some days you don't have a lot to give. Some days you, you're really productive and give a lot. Those environments that are really understanding about that stuff make it so much better to be around people because the conversations are less like, anxiety ridden and more like i feel like i can joke around with you like you're it's more like a friendly no relationship. even like the mm-hmm. so like the like i have a boss above me who and it's just me and him who really handle all these reports and forecasting like we're our own very small team for this division that everybody goes to and it's nice because it keeps you busy and you also feel like busy. you're providing value yeah exactly um, and then we have one boss above that um, who handles the whole division for the most part. And, you know, he he can drop the hammer, but he never does it in like a like a harsh way, dude. Like he, he understands that you're the only two people that are capable of doing this. Please do your best to provide it. You know, like he doesn't shaft you for not being able to do it. He knows you can do it and he knows that it's going to take some time and he gives you that time. And I think I couldn't ask anything more of somebody who's above me, you know. yeah yeah no that's like i feel like that's kind of what you want is that is uh like people you work with that understand that you're like companies are run by humans and not by like like efficiency driven machines right like there will like for like dude in my in my current job like i'm doing like i've been doing onboarding stuff and the person who's been helping me with my onboarding, he, he like, he's been like a little sick, um, this, the past, like past week, week and a half. So fucking sick. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he, he also has, uh, diabetes. So like his, oh, oh yeah, that made that joke not funny. <laughs> <laughs> I meant so fucking sick. Like, damn, that's so sick, bro. <laughs> Shout out Kyle Partika for having diabetes. Uh, but um, yeah, so like his like blood sugar sometimes will drop and he'll just be like, yeah, I, I'm i not BRB. feeling well. I need to, I, I like I can't work today. I will be in tomorrow or something. Yeah. And but he, he works out of a, like L.A. I'm living in uh, San Francisco. Right. So I don't actually get to see him but I feel like I have a pretty good relationship with him. And like the fact that he is so comfortable just telling people when he can't do things and then people will cover for him or like things will figure themselves out. I feel like that makes a good work culture. No, absolutely. And, and kind of going back to, you know, these are all the the good stories, but that adaptation that took me a couple of years and takes people years was like, you know, we all started, me and my friends, we all started our jobs um, right out of college. And, you know, one of my friends went into investment banking. One of my friends went into a huge data center. 
Um, and those are my, my two friends that I, I talk to the most. And these are two extremely competitive fields. And the two jobs that they both took uh, were extremely taxing and hard on them. And I thought that was normal, you know, because like uh, if it was normal for them, it was normal for me in a way. And it, it was horrible for all three of us. And so like uh, I had no, uh, how do you say it? Like frame of reference yeah. um, with us three, you know, all three of us had like a, a bad startup per se. And we just thought that was normal. And that was really hard for our brains to just be like, you know, this is normal and this is what you're going to deal with for the next 40 years. And so like that was kind of daunting um for all three of us and now all three of us after a couple years have pushed our way into places where we want to be and we realize that where we started is not the end all be all and there are so many better places to be but to try to convince somebody who's new into the the work life that that's possible is pretty hard because they're going to probably have to go through some gauntlets to get where we are today yeah yeah for sure like uh yeah, I don't know. I feel like, well, some people get lucky with their first job opportunity and end up in a good place. But that's also because we as a society normalize like that type of behavior and that type of environment, especially the generation above us. Like that's a lot of what they know. You, you know, also that, have to be careful with your excitement too, you know, like you could be getting your first job. I was excited as fuck. All of us were. Yeah, I was mad hype. <laughs> and you make you make a lot of compromises when you're excited and you know you're being you know you're being compensated as a, a sort of money or you know time whatever the case be and uh you'll make all these compromises like you know it's the same with like relationships like these red flags that you put away and that you ignore same thing goes with work uh, whether it's relationships with an actual partner or with a friend you know there there are some people you know that will ring a bell where it's like yeah I ignored some red flags and then ended up being dog shit or like yeah, there were some red flags and I make it at work, you know, but it's a really tough gambit. And uh, it's even worse when you're being compensated for it and your life technically kind of depends on it, you know, where a relationship, you can end it and you can move on. But with work, can you really truly just end it and move on instantly? Not really. It's kind of tough, as we've mentioned. Yeah, I mean, you can't just clean break that day and, and walk out for most people but that's also why on the podcast we like to talk about investing a bit just because it gives you it's not going to be i mean for some people it is if that's how far you want to take it but it's in most cases not going to be a replacement of your job or you know a complete removal of your you know your nine to five job yeah but i mean you can definitely do that it's tough but doable you could yeah but in most cases it's more just to give you that sense of security like some you know, cushioning bro i'm not i'm not living paycheck to paycheck like i have some investments i have a little bit of passive income that could help me if i lost my job and you know that's what we like to kind of chat about and that's the goal of this podcast in a way to show people that they can one either turn their passions into these income producing you know or these cash flow income streams or you just go the you know, a more traditional route of stocks or crypto or real estate and you put your money to work for you just so you can be a little bit more secure. But yeah, no, I mean, uh, first and foremost, coming from first gen, I think that investing is definitely a privilege that I'm glad that most of the Americans have. Yeah. Most of the modern world has. It's definitely a privilege, which is a good preface. But yeah, once we accept that it is a privilege and you're willing to do it and you're willing to put some risk on the table. I mean, it's an outstanding tool and it can be used to your benefit. And yes, there are risks and 
uh, and that's part of the game. But you can the nice thing about investing is you can choose your level of risk relatively. Uh, you can expose yourself to extreme risk, low risk, mid risk, and you can also diversify and just do all three. Um, and I, I think it's it's amazing. You know, um, I, I said before the podcast we got to speak for a couple minutes, and I said that you know I recently pulled out of all my investments um, in terms of the stock exchange and crypto. Um, and so I made good money on that. Nothing crazy, nothing truly life altering, but definitely life, uh, progressing and, um, took the wins there and then saw a huge dip. And uh, I was just by chance. I didn't do any analysis or anything. I just happened to dip afterwards and I got lucky. Um, and then, uh, I actually considered assets. I, I kind of wanted to try investing in like uh like physical assets you know gold gold and um things like jewelry um because for instance like uh since the beginning of college i've been huge into watches and uh the i've been following them for six years seven they've appreciated a lot uh they're all like triple quadruple the prices of the ones that you know we're talking 10 to five hundred thousand dollar watches um you know uh yeah. so the the 10 to like 30 range i can afford but obviously i can't do much past that yeah um considering my age and my my income but even then dude you know like uh an example that most people would understand listening to this would be like everybody knows the name rolex yeah. right um there's a probably like a handful of like six seven rolexes that everybody could if they truly pushed for it saved up for it could afford um and you when you go through an authorized dealer you can buy it for retail price msrp just like a car has a sticker price right you can buy it for the sticker price and as soon as you put it on ebay the next day it's i'm not kidding it's uh 50 to 300 percent uh times the value so if you can get acquisition depending through, on what what yeah model on which watch it is and this is just rolex alone you know there's so many other watches out there um but if you do your research you know which brands are valuable which models are valuable which ones are in demand it's just a supply demand issue mm-hmm. really because these are all handmade watches and they only make a couple hundred thousand a year and a million thousand people want them you know um so like literally the watch that i'm looking at ten thousand two fifty and sells immediately for seventeen thousand five hundred so like, oh, wow if you truly wanted to just flip it you could um yeah. There's another one that's like fifteen thousand immediately sells for thirty thousand. So it's like if you can acquire that capital, it's kind of disgusting how instantly you can change the money. It's arbitraging, as it's yeah. called. Yeah, no, truly. I uh, yeah, no, that's something that's on my list too. I think I'm I'm gonna shoot for a house first. That's I think on my horizon. That's my big goal, and that's like two years out. And do like a like a house hack situation. I don't need to say that shit again because the podcast really knows. But uh, <laughs> I think I think after that, and you know, I'm able to like take another look at my finances and have extra money in my savings to make another investment. Then I'd want to go for a, a watch as well. No, I mean, and it's nice. I mean, you can wear some it, kind of jewelry. Be yeah. proud of it. Uh, like the way I view it too is that you mentioned jewelry. Is like a lot of people scoff and and look at a rolex and i understand or the rolex is the brand most people know so i'll use that as the example yeah yeah. but they'll scoff at a rolex because it's you know you're spending a fucking used car money on a piece of jewelry but uh the best example i appreciate give you the best example i can give you is uh like i'm probably gonna end up proposing to my girlfriend i don't know probably a year from now right and the ring that we're looking at is somewhere between eight and ten thousand dollars 
right? So that's not going to appreciate. They don't really appreciate that much. Uh, it's going to either sit at eight ten thousand dollars, whatever price I buy it at, or it's going to sink a thousand dollars below that. Now that watch, like I said, you buy it and you can sell it the next day. So it's like once you start looking at these things as assets, you know, there's a lot of different angles you can start viewing it from. And then on top of that, they're pretty, they're fun. There's a sense of pride in them. Professional. Yeah. Um, so like I think for where women have necklaces, bracelets, anklets, and everything in between, men have watches in a sense, you know. Some men wear rings, some men wear earrings, but it's far in between compared to watches. Almost everybody has, you know, some hundred dollar G shock on their wrist. I feel like it's also there's like another aspect to it as well. As it applies to women with jewelry, but also for men with watches or, you know, mostly watches, but it's like the nicer the watch, it's almost like the higher level of respect that you command. Like as stupid as that is, it's more like, not that I even believe that someone that has a really nice watch should get more respect than someone who doesn't. But I know that that applies a lot in the business world. Like if people see you have a nice watch on your wrist, they're going to like take you a little bit more seriously. So it's more about whether you agree with it or not, just playing the game to kind of, I mean, we, we play a game of success. I mean, yeah, exactly. We like it or not. Men play a game of success and failure, you know? Um, and that was part of the three-year adaptation for me, where it was like, you know, uh, the only goal I have is to succeed. And that could be great. And that can also be really bad for your mental health, you know, where it's like, maybe you don't feel like you should be where you are right now and and so on. But like, if you're in the know of watches and jewelry, it's like, once you see somebody's wearing a fucking used car on their wrist, it's like, yeah, you must be succeeding. Good for you, man. I, you know, I want to do what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's no different. It's like, we see, you know, people idolize like Wolf of Wall Street. I don't think they should as much fun as yeah. it was and as much as I love the movie. It's like, you're talking about a guy that's ripping people off, but people yeah, idolize yeah. the success, which I, I commend, you know, the guy succeeded. He, he played the system and a good and fraudful It's funny because he's kind of doing it again. <laughs> he is. <kinda laughs> but through, through social media. <laughs> <laughs> but he's doing it relatively clean. and uh, Yeah, cleaner, cleaner. Yeah. And it's like uh, we applaud success. You know, that's what our lives are driven around. And I can't deny that. So, like, when I see a guy is wearing, a, you know, a $10,000, $20,000, watch, I'm like, you know, you're, you're a step ahead of me. How do I get there? You know, we look for advice rather than bringing people down. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. he's wearing a $30,000 watch. Like, fuck you. No, like I, if you want to succeed, you, you better be asking that guy. It's like, what yeah. do you do? And, you know, what were your steps to get there? And he'll be, be like, hey, man, listen, like I, I rode this shit for 15 years to get where I am. Yep. And that's reassuring, too. And then there's some people who are like, yeah, I got lucky or they don't want to admit that they got lucky. And yeah. you know, it's only been two, three years and they're they're doing fantastic. There's also the. uh the people that which we're seeing more now in our generation on social media that they're just they're showing things that they also don't necessarily have or really can't afford to because social media is a highlight reel but again that taps into them playing the game because they know that if they do show that they have these things or supposedly they can rent this car or get this watch or borrow this watch or whatever the fuck they're doing uh to portray this image that's going to allow them to attract people to their page so then they could sell them a product, sell them a course, sell them a subscription. Yeah. I, and then they end up actually getting rich. But that that's been the case for a lot of people on social media. It's uh it's risky, but it's it's possible, man. And some people have really good lessons, some people don't. Yeah. Um 
Like, I mean, I watched this guy, Manny Koshpin, who's like a real estate mogul. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's impressive, you know. He's—I mean, he's uh, legit, obviously. But like, you—you can see legit and not legit. But it's, uh, you know, that's the top echelons of success. I can't necessarily compare myself to him. But there's no nothing stopping you from asking, "How do I start?" You know, the guy started as an immigrant and got to where he is today. It's—it's absolutely impressive. If any of you listening have a time to just look up Manny Koshman, you're going to see opulence to the absolute (laughs) max. It's insane. (laughs) Yeah, you know, some people dream of owning one Bugatti, the guy has two. Some people dream of owning one Pagani, the guy has two. The guy dreams of, you know, one McLaren, the guy has three. It's yeah. insane. It's absolutely And insane. they're all one of ones. Yeah. yeah. It's it's absurd. And you shouldn't compare yourself to them directly, but you should strive to to try, you know? And and these are people who do it legit. And I think that's that's what men are. You know, you gotta try to succeed and try to follow people who do succeed. You know, yeah. and he sells a class. Uh, I haven't considered it because I'm not in real estate. But, you know, uh, like you said, people do the shit that, you know, they'll rent something out and, and say, like, you know, I own this house. They truly don't. And they're like, you know, you can own this, too. They don't own it. And then they sell their class. But Manny Koshman's a good example of that. But as we've seen on social media, there's hundreds and thousands of people who are playing the game respectfully so you know it's a risk they're willing to take and and trying to succeed but yeah if you're able to spot that early you'll realize that by the time they succeed they still have provided no value to you yeah i feel like i feel like the whole like the whole idea of flexing with uh through social media though like to bring it back to because i know you mentioned mental health before like I've heard so many different times how detrimental like Instagram could be to anyone's mental health, right? Yeah, everyone will everyone will still check in. Like it's personally like I I am an Instagram user in that I consume content on Instagram, but I feel like most of the content I consume isn't really people that I know. It's just like video meme pages man yeah it's meme pages (laughs) i get meme pages and cats and like that's basically it and i think that's good you know but like i like i worry sometimes for instance for my girlfriend like she like uh she mentions to me like there's all these unrealistic standards for women that she has to deal with that we don't um and i see it constantly over and over and over and over and over again and like people will pay thousands of dollars to get their video promoted and it's some girl who is doing something that most people consider unhealthy to be where they are. And all of a sudden everybody wants to be that person, you know, like they want their boyfriend to view them like that girl. Whoa. And it's uh, it's playing on insecurity to make money. And I, I find it terrible, but it, like you said, it's like, it could be social media could be good, but there's a very deep bad side to it. I, I agree with that. And I also feel like that comes down to like how men and women are, like treated and looked at in society or where their value comes into play. Like, you know, some could say that for women, it's more on uh, like visually what they can present themselves as, because that's usually where generally a guy is looking. They're they're looking at how they they look, their visual representation. There's a certain type of body type that, you know, the more successful individuals have been able to create that like stigma or standard or, you know, yeah. Of this is what the ideal woman looks like. And that's, you know, usually how they attract their mate. 
if we're getting down biologically, <laughs> but no, for, for a guy, argument, yeah. Though. And men are usually looked at, which th- these things are changing in our generation for sure. But talking about the generation before us and even still ours, men's value comes more in about how they can support and provide for their family, for their, yeah, their, their mate, their partner. How deep so, is your bag? So that's why I feel like, you know, Instagram, it's more like, women are comparing themselves because it's a visual app. It's just girls posting pictures of themselves. I mean, girls and guys, but these girls are just posting pictures in their bikinis. They're at this festival. They're doing these fun things. They look pretty. They look good. Their outfits are nice. So then you're constantly comparing yourself to that visual representation. But for men, it's more like, you know, less about the visuals. You can, there are plenty of people that are not standardly attractive to whatever that may be. No, I get what you're saying. It's yeah. definitely a. It's a tough. I'm trying topic. to dance around it because I don't want to. Because I don't. I don't even think these things. It's just I'm speaking generally. Yeah. But. No. I mean, like, uh, I, I see it. Uh, it's it's not easy. Um, like, I mean, even your between us three, it's like you know your own self esteem is measured within you and what people give to you, and you know I could say fuck my self esteem. You know, I'm a successful person. You know, that's all I care about. And I could succeed that way to in finding a mate too. There's somebody that's interested in me being able to be a provider, and there's no shame in that at all. Yeah. Um. And both sides of the argument, but going back to social media, it's like it's so tough to uh, how do you say uh, keep your values true to yourself while you're just casually scrolling through this shit day in and day out. And like, it's constantly trying to sell you something, whether it's the actual physical body appearance itself or some product that's attached to it. Um, you know, I got to look better. I got to buy these white sneakers or I got to buy this black t-shirt. Um, or, you know, I got to do my hair this way. Um, you know, I need to be athletic in this sense. Um, uh, for both men and women and it's it's pretty fucking insane but it, it's uh, it's just like a mental battle that uh, people have become more aware to it as you said it's definitely changing but uh i just are playing the yeah. game i just i think you should you got to figure out what you want and then as hard as it is you got to just figure out what spots to play of the game in order for you to get to where your end goal is but like, doesn't mean play the whole like game a, tell that to like an 18 year old you know like it's not easy Oh no, you have to figure all this stuff out along the way. So, but yeah, I don't know. We live in a toxic ass society, <laughs> bottom line. <laughs> <laughs> you know, every society has been toxic in its own right, but I feel yeah. like ours is definitely more uh more pressing and more available. To be to be completely honest, even though I I enjoy spending time in the city of Miami, I hate everything that Miami stands for. <laughs> yeah, when we were there, it was fun. But like at the same time, it's like, yeah, it's everyone in front of you is like diamonds, watches, parties, everyone's trying drinking, to f- alcohol, drugs, like cars, <laughs> yachts, like everyone's just yeah. trying to flex on you at all times when you're in Miami. And like, I, you, I hate that. <laughs> you feel so poor when you go there. You know <laughs> the, the part that kind of that kind of makes me a little happier is uh, being that I was so into watches and jewelry and things like that, very high items. Um, you get exposed to people who have um, money that is beyond imaginable reach. And in viewing them, when I go to places like these, um, I realize that everybody's just trying to flex and that there's somebody out there who's actually a big shark. 
And usually those you don't know about though because they're they don't, like, you don't they know don't about want them they don't want you to know. They're going to be in Miami. They're going to be in Monaco. They're going to be in the Mediterranean. They're going to be in the Cape of Africa. They're going to be in South America. They're going to be in Cabo. Like yeah. they're not going to be in Miami nine out of ten times. So it's like once you start traveling and you start seeing these people, it's like you guys are just flexing. I'm going to go have my own fun. You have your fun, but you spent four thousand dollars more than me to just be in Miami. You know. I also feel like it comes down to like when you don't feel like the need to uphold this image to other people and you just care about yourself and you're happy with how your life is going internally, you don't need that external validation all otherwise from like your family and close friends, because yeah, you want them to think that you're a good person while also succeeding. You don't want to be a fucking dickhead, but you, then you'll, you'll be able to use all your time and money for the things you actually enjoy, like quality activities and not overpaying for a lot of, like dumb stuff like you know if you like cars yeah get that nice exotic car or two exotic cars but like don't get a car if you know nothing about cars just because you think you need to have this car because other people will think <laughs> you're cool yeah, you know no, what i mean like very true man. buy things very you true. like that are for you don't buy them for other people and then you know you'll also probably have more money left over at the end of the no, day like i have like a a very religious mother um and we disagree on a lot of things because i'm not as religious um but one of the things that we agree upon the most is that listen you're only here for a fucking few decades have some fucking fun which includes good dinners with friends things you like and things to provide you know so it's like make sure you have your providing sense covered where it's like if you own a house and you own a family make sure they're covered right and then after that it's like go find something that you really like a hobby like mine's cars for instance like uh cars and watches uh they're very expensive but i love them and i can i know how to budget for them financially and and figure it out and it plays into an investing role as i mentioned earlier so it's like i can make room for that and then when it comes to like dinners with friends never fucking never skip a dinner with a friend if you can afford it even if it's like you say you can't afford it if you can squeeze twenty dollars to be there for a salad and a soup or whatever like go uh, you, you need you need to go make some time with your friends and like that's the biggest thing that me and my mom have connected on where it's like there is not a single dollar wasted in terms of making sure your life is spent for right because you could save for 40 years but that's 40 years you're not enjoying it so set those long-term goals for 40 years but also set some short-term goals where you can enjoy those things while it's still in fruition uh Oh, wait, I just wanted him to tell you what car he had. Oh, what car I have? Uh, so I drive a GR Toyota Supra. Uh, it's a relatively expensive car for a fucking kid. But it's, uh, I mean, it's an amazing time. It's fun. And it's something I enjoy. There's, uh, I daily it. So, you know, every time I go to work, I have fun. I have a smile on my face. And, and, and you know, that's the where the value comes for me. It's like maybe to some regular person, it, it may not matter. To me, there is no bigger joy than hearing some cylinders smashing the fucking engine, going to high RPMs, and and, and just enjoying it, man. You know, there's a thrill for me in that, and somebody else has a thrill in something else. But for me, it's the car. Nice. Do you have a BMW? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, I'm saying no. The Supra is kind of BMW. It, it has the BMW engine in it, but I'm not gonna. You know, anybody sits in that car and they're gonna forget every preconception yeah. they have of it, and they're just gonna enjoy it. 
And and that's what it comes down to. It's mm -hmm. like you can do all your research, you can do all your paper math and whatnot, what's in there, what's not. But once you sit in it and you fucking slam the accelerator, that shit goes out the fucking window and you're happy as shit. You're like, <laughs> like you're laughing. Smiles like, for gallon. Yeah, exactly. Smiles for gallon, man. Awesome. Uh, one question. I like right before we talked about your car, you tied up this entire episode into like it's beautifully. But I guess like so just a fun question before we before we finish up. Yeah, sure. Um, how how are you feeling now emotionally now that you've seen that uh, a manual Supra has been announced? Uh, doesn't bother me, man. You know, I accept things as they are. Um, manual's fun. I, I learned on manual when I was 14, but, uh, I made my choice and why the fuck would I regret it? Cause I'm already laughing and having fun, you know? And if money allows, sure. Yeah. Like I'll get a manual, but really I'm only looking at like five, 10% increase of happiness per se with another like minus 20, 30% of money. So it's like, you know, you got to balance your money per fun ratio. And it's a good way to put it. Uh, it's like, I is like it really that. worth for me to trade it in and get a manual and restart car payments at an absolute maximum? No, not really. Definitely uh, for, not. <laughs> like, like I said, like I'm at a negative deficit in that fun for money ratio. Um, I'm already having fun. I, I already have people who like the car who are saying, you know, what an amazing decision you made because it's getting me to look. And, and it brings me back to my childhood days of the 90s, having the old Mark IV Supra. You know, I have a bunch of old timers asking me about the car. And like, I think that's so fucking cool. Um, I have some young kids who are like looking up and I'm like, yeah, that was me. You know, like when I was looking at cars, like I was the one where I was like, I don't have that kind of fucking money, but one day I will. And, you know, that's where I'm at now and I'm enjoying it. So it makes no difference to me at all. Like uh, I have some extremely rich friends who are already ordering two or three of them. It's kind of disgusting. There's like three of those people. Um, and I'm jealous of them in the sense that they could just casually do that. But uh, well, one to keep stock and one to mod. Yeah, exactly. And uh, but at the end of the day, it's like for my own enjoyment without looking outside of the scope, I wouldn't trade it. And I already have a piece of art that I'm just casually driving for fun. Comparison's a killer of joy. It is. It so, is. No, I think your, your car is beautiful, answer. honestly. We, we got to go to a meet together sometime now that my car is done. I'm, I'm ready to bring it to me. Absolutely, man. I'm all for it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm. It's done, but now something else came up. Of so, course, that's how cars work. But when I put the, spa I lowered it, it never and put the spacers on. Now, <laughs> now it the wheel shakes. It, it, there's some shake after I put the spacers on, so I'm not sure what's good with no, that. I'm I can't drive it over seventy. Terrible realm where I'm going to be getting a motorcycle probably in the next like year or so. And be safe. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it is a, a lot of risk to take on, but at the same time, miles for or smiles per gallon. Yeah, gotta enjoy yourself, gallon, man. No, just be safe. Yeah, yeah. I, I know you're a safe dude, but... Yeah, no, I drive pretty sensibly. I mean, I have a car that definitely would take the, the ground under me, but I drive pretty safe for that car. I have friends who don't. <laughs> I used to, like, whip too hard, but that was when I had a slow car. Now, I feel like if I did that, it would be dude, a I have friends who just casually, like, close off a highway in New York City and yeah. will drag race. Oh, yeah. Don't know how they do it, but they do Jersey, it. too. They do that. <laughs> Because it's just it's just highways. <laughs> I bet I'm not I'm, I'm not kidding, dude. There'll there'll be like a hundred people who will just stop on the highway, and the two race cars or four race cars are in the front, 
And then that's when they start the drag race. Like cops will be there, but what the fuck are they going to do? The roads are blocked off by people and cars. That's <laughs> incredible. It's the most insane illegal shit I've ever seen. And it's all on camera, but there's no way to convict them because their plates and people aren't on them. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. Have you seen those covers? All right, we'll wrap it up. But you know, those covers where it'll just go over the plate. And yeah, yeah. they sell them on like Instagram ads or I've something. I've seen ones that flip inside. <laughs> yeah, those too. Yeah, it takes the, like I, the play will come out, flip, and go back in. I think that like the in, the idea of that like was during like the Prohibition era when they were like <laughs> like they would be just like j- just have alcohol in the in the back of the car, and then they would just put their put their license plates away and just fucking floor it. Yeah, I mean, it's... are you serious? <laughs> yeah, no, I remember. I I don't remember I where I heard, it, man. I don't That's remember insane. where I learned this from, but I do remember learning that Prime at some is point. Extremely creative, for better and mostly for worse. <laughs> But addiction fuels examples. creation <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> it's such a terrible thing but you see it everywhere man especially in the car industry Alrighty, um uh Berto, was there any other comments you wanted to make before we wrap it up no thank you guys for having me it was an absolute pleasure man thank you so no, much bro yeah we should do it again uh sure i'd be open to it it's not a problem at all this was a lot of fun yeah i I'm like glad. these ones where it's just open wide open no boundaries uh all right but otherwise i guess i'll send us off you guys know where to reach us black box podcast no a in the black on instagram and twitter black box podcast with an a in the black on tiktok uh thank you so much birdo and we will see you guys next time no problem take care guys thank you peace